0: Hello foodies Welcome to the Breaking Bread Podcast foodie podcast presented by food obsessed mates Liam that's me and Carl that's me join us as we aim to peel back the curtain and give food lovers like us a real insight into what makes the hospitality industry so fantastic our fortnightly episodes will bring interviews with people from all over the industry and Liam and I will discuss everything food related from reviewing places we've ate to to chatting about recipes we're experimenting with at home we hope you enjoy listening to our chats as much as we re- enjoy recording them. So, we're here at Connolly's in Solihull, Devils Parade, uh, with Chris Connolly, the owner. Hello, Chris. Hello, Carl. <laughs> um, you've been running Connolly's now for nearly 40 years, is it? 49 uh, years?
1: Terrifyingly, yeah. I uh, the, the business started in 1976. I mean, as a, as a family, we have been hawking booze around the Midlands ever since great-grandfather got off the boat in uh, Liverpool back in sort of 1880s. Oh, right. Uh, And uh, yeah, Uh, so the old business got taken over and this one started off in 1976 and I joined in January 1980. Wow. Terrifying, frankly. (laughs) Totally unqualified to do anything else. (laughs) Totally unqualified to do this, really, but there we go. Well, i'm sure this is what you want to do <laughs> more than
0: anything else so you've got this shop and you've got the shop in town arch 13 which is yep. also a cracking bar i might say Thank you very, very much good. i went there the other week we've and really I've been there
1: it. several times yeah that's and that was all new wasn't it because it was just a shop before it was just a shop yeah um it i mean, going back into the midst of time it was also our office and so on and so forth uh we had all that ripped out a little while ago um and just had it as a huge sort of barn of a, a shop uh, and then, for a n- number of reasons, I mean, it was something that I'd ha- had been sort of nagging away back of my mind for uh, a little while. That I just felt that the building itself really lent itself uh, to uh, to a nice sort of atmospheric wine bar. Uh, and so, chatted it through with Abby, my daughter, uh, who obviously has, you probably know, has been in hospitality. ever since she was 17 Um, and she's a qualified sommelier and and, and so on so she was keen to do something uh, and we just saw it as a great opportunity without losing the shop at the same time and that was that was also very very much part and parcel of the exercise was to um, to retain the shop element of it there whilst yeah it's it's very clever when
0: you're in there because when you're in the bar area you don't really notice the shop too much (laughs) but when you're in the shop yeah the same way you don't really notice you're in a bar of the, just how it's gridded off slightly yeah it's like a nice divide between the two so it does, still got it the does shop seem to really well yeah
1: <laughs> um, and of course we've still got Ed in the shop which everybody loves it <laughs> is that the rum expert uh, I, he counts the rum amongst many other things yes yeah he yeah. sold me some very very
0: nice rum. <laughs> <laughs> so The big thing with your shops is the personal approach, I'd take it, where you can come in, you can have a conversation. Anytime I've come into this one or the one in town, I've ended up walking away with something quite special nearly every time. I think you were the first people we bought Natemba Champagne off. Right.
1: Sparkling wine. Yeah, sparkling
0: wine. Yeah, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Sparkling wine, which was fantastic. I've got the best vermouth I've ever had off you, the La Cuesta. Oh, La Cuesta, yeah. That was really good. It was the 4 square rum, uh the white wine the gruner that was fantastic and that was of all just from a good conversation and picking up on
1: i think yeah i mean essentially the 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 whole focus really is we I mean, we don't do brands uh we sell some branded champagnes uh and you could frame a very good case for saying that Timber, obviously is 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 a brand uh but generally speaking we we avoid big brands um, that you can buy, you know, here, there and everywhere else, and we much... Uh, I don't see any point in being in this game uh, if you're just going to sort of fo- follow the, the, the sort of general consensus. And, um, it's, it makes it exciting, if you like, to go out and find something new. Um, hence the fact that, yeah, well, you know, when we were in Romania uh, last year, uh, we, and we came back with a wine from Natchville, um, And we do, we work with a lot of people, a lot of growers uh, in Austria. Um, Again, you know, some really interesting small growers doing exciting stuff down there. Um, We had a brilliant trip to South Africa a couple of years ago, and we got some fabulous exclusivities from South Africa um, that you won't find anywhere else. Uh, So if you're gonna be selling wines like that, then you you have to have a dialogue with the customers to introduce them. You you know, the the wines aren't gonna sell themselves. Um, so, yeah, and you also have to believe in the wines. Yeah,
0: I suppose if you've never seen the bottle before or recognise anything on it, you're going to want some information behind it
1: or someone yeah. to sell it to you. Ex- exactly, exactly. Um, and, and it's also, I mean, I think it, if you're in, in the wine industry, it's the people who are behind it who are almost as exciting as the wines. Mm. So, you know, it's the opportunity to go over and meet the guy who's, who's putting the stuff into the bottle. And you get some sort of understanding as to their philosophy and what makes them tick, uh, and and it's it's then conveying that to to you know yourself who's yeah. going to come into the shop and buy. So it. is that quite an important thing going and meeting the actual people that grow and make the wine, and then you come back and just source it? If we can do, yeah, you know, and I, and I, I think it's it's that you know the, the reducing it, if you like, the chain. Uh, so there's essentially only one link in it. Um, between you as the consumer and the guy who's actually planting the vines in the soil in the first place mm. um, and uh, yeah so it again it just brings the whole personality of, of the grower into, into play wow and since yeah and again you tend to find generally speaking that most people who, who make wine particularly if they're you know small-scale um, artisan winemakers, if you like, um, they tend to be f- quite fun as well. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so,
0: since you started, how well, do you think that the wine business has changed?
1: When I started in 1980, um, the some of the well, the, some of the best-selling wines that we had in those days uh, were. Um, German whites, you know, the, the sort of lead Elch, peace border, Michelsberg, mm-hmm. um, the blue nuns, if you like, <laughs> of this world. Say blue nuns. And uh, and it was a very very traditional market. You know, there's no getting away from that. Um, I can remember looking at our list. You know, in in the early to mid '80s, and actually it was French, German, and we probably sell sold more, in terms of white wines, more wines from Germany than, than anywhere else. Wow. Um, port, sherry, but really nothing. I mean, you had a few bottles of, of, you know, inexpensive Italian, you know, big bottles of Valpolicello and that sort of thing that people buy for parties and yeah. so on. But you know, it has changed beyond recognition. It, it's And it's also, the, I mean, the way that the, the industry has evolved at the same time. So it's not only the breadth of, of the range available, um, I mean, there were some pretty shocking wines produced all over in those days. <laughs> and I think what part and parcel of one of the catalysts, if you like, uh, which has seen such an improvement uh, in, in general wine quality. I mean, the, the, what you're putting into a glass these days is so much better overall than it was that long ago. Is a much better understanding as to, you know, the, the whole sort of technology and science and chemistry uh, of wine production. A large amount of which has been driven by the New World. So although I'm not a huge fan of, of the sort of slightly anonymous sort of flying winemakers if you like that we started to see in, in the 1980s where guys would be trained at Roseworthy in Australia and then you know they, they'd do a vintage in Australia and then they come over to Europe and do a vintage and then they go back and so, forth, and so forth. And you tended to wine, find wines that you didn't necessarily know which country it came from, you didn't know what grape variety it was, but you knew who the winemaker was. And, but what they did bring with them was, was, you know, technology, if you like, and and a better understanding. And so, certain areas where, you know, again, I mean, as as an example, I'd use Burgundy, where uh, a lot of growers never looked outside what was going on in their own patch. Um, and you know you speak to them and they say you know I make wine in the same way as my father and my grandfather or my great-grandfather and and you know that's fine if your great-grandfather was making great wine in every likelihood you'll still be making great wine if he was making complete filth then you will still be <laughs> making complete filth um, and and it's yeah, you know, I suppose better communications these days that have allowed uh, growers to to you know look outside to work abroad uh, and many of the people that we work with in, in Burgundy now, you um, know Nicolas Potel, for example, at, at um, Roche de Belen uh, who's worked in Australia and he's worked in California, and then he's brought that understanding back to Burgundy, where he applies, you know, the uh, the techniques, if you like, that he's learned. Which isn't which isn't to say that it's it's you know, industrial level of production. It's just a better understanding of what's actually going on within the bowels, uh, so that he can he can. Deal with it accordingly.
0: Wow! And how's the world reacting to the new move for more conscientious wines, like low intervention, natural, sustainable, biodynamic, organic? There's that many names for different. <laughs>
1: <wines now. laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there is there is clearly a lot more interest. To the extent that I mean, not, not, as you know, quite a lot of what we do is is wholesaling into restaurants and bars and, and so on. So that these days, when we're putting a wine list together for for a restaurant, we won't, unless they, they specifically want it, we won't put together you know a natural wine list for them or an organic wine list or whatever. Uh, but we, what we will do is to identify within that list whether any of those wines actually sort of fall into the the categories that you're talking about Mm. Um, so that from a consumer's point of view at least it gives them some sort of guide i suppose one of one of the strongest uh, categories if you like at the moment in that respect would be vegetarian and vegan wines uh Mm. where i mean that's very very much on the up at the moment the whole natural wine movement if you like is is still very much in vogue it's there's a, there are schools of thought that say, is it all a little bit sort of emperor's new clothes? Is it here to stay? Well, I mean, as far as natural wines are concerned, that because there is no strict definition as to what constitutes a natural wine. Uh, so there, are, there is a general understanding, if you like, within the industry as to what natural wine is. Um, you know, it has to be grown organically or biodynamically, or whatever. Uh, you can't be adding enzymes or yeasts to it. It has to be all natural. Um, you can't use like, chips or these sorts of things. Uh, you have to restrict your filtering and, and so on. These, these sorts of uh, things, but there's nothing laid down in tablets of stone to say this is how it must be.
0: So people, there can be massive variations between yeah. one and another. Yeah,
1: one. precisely. And uh, and I had a a very interesting when I I was going over to Romania back in uh, September last year, and um, I I flew over with uh, Bobby Fishel, who runs a a natural wine bar up in Liverpool. Lovely guy. um, And the conversation I had with him on the on the way out, uh, and you know I've, I've tasted through tasted through thousands of wines over the last year or so including a number of natural wines some of which have been very very good a lot of which i just maybe i haven't really understood let's put it that way (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah you can struggle with some of them and you think but having said that again what that has done is i think it's it's forced a lot of um, more conventional growers to actually look at what they're doing, um, and if you like, they've sort of slightly dropped a, a stone in the, in the water, and the ripples uh, are now impacting on, on what other people are doing as well. Yeah. So you're finding, and what what you can find from the you know the best natural wines, which will have a lovely sense of purity about them, and uh, and just this sort of poison elegance, and and so as I say. Adopting what they're doing at the same time, um, and just generally being a little bit more um, aware as to as to the impact of of their the winemaking procedures, as I say, is impacting elsewhere. But but actually, if you if you look at essentially what qualifies as a natural wine, and you look at the wines we've got on our shelves, then you'll find that although they don't say anything about natural, that's Essentially, the way they are produced. You yeah, know, they're the, just. They're, by, they it's just <laughs> that's, that's just the way it is. If, if, exactly, and you know the people we work with. I mean, Michel Lafarge, who is the most wonderful old guy, in, in, in um, Volney, who makes outstanding wines with his son, and they've been producing biodynamically for the last 20 30 years. They don't make a big song and dance about it. They, it doesn't say anything about it on the labels. They're not registered or anything like that. It's just what they do because they feel it. You know, they make much better wine that way. Mm. So, you know, I think sometimes it's these things got, you know, become fashionable, if you like, uh, and maybe people jump onto that bandwagon, whereas actually it's been around for a long time, yeah, uh, and they just, as I say, haven't necessarily been been banging the drum loud enough.
0: No, because it, it's sort of. I don't know if it's always been around, but has orange wine always been around? Because it's uh, something that, I've only seen in the last sort of no, year. No, I, th- I, th-
1: I think to a degree that is that is a little bit more uh, sort of uh, yeah recent development. I like certainly some not something I've been aware of no. um, until probably the last really four or five years. And and it, uh, that's I see as being very much sort of almost driven by the sort of rise of the the sort of uh, super sommelier uh, yeah. who yeah I mean and from a sommelier's point of view so, you know they're wonderful tools because you've got uh, for, for so many years they've essentially been restricted to when well, you've got red wine you've got wine, wine you've got sparkling wine you've got sweet wine da, 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 da. Um, and now suddenly you've got you know mm. this new plaything, and you can do all sorts of other, other you know food and wine matching exercises with it um, and the fact that, you know, it essentially, it is a white wine, but, but you've got this, this extraordinary sort of tannic structure to it, mm. um, which uh, it just, as I say, gives you all manner of, of other options in terms of, of, of getting food and wine matching together. Yeah, um, it's, it's really which, nice which, as well. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I, it's one of those where I, I think there were some great ones around. Um, like everything else, there's, there's sort of good and bad. But, I mean, certainly as far as Birmingham is concerned, um, you know, in some respects nobody could even pronounce sommelier until, you know, the last few years. (laughs) Um, And, you know, the the restaurant industry in Birmingham, there wasn't anywhere with a sommelier. No. You know, if if I, okay, I'm, I'm going back, you know, further than most. But when I think back to the days when. The only decent restaurant around, probably, was John Narbert's. I don't know. Um, he had Sloan's, which I think was in Chad Square in um, Harbour, and his son Roger, who, who is still around, has got a uh, uh, pub over in, is it the Chequers, uh, in Cutmore Green. Oh, right. Uh, he used to be the uh, the chef for the England football team. Did he? Yeah. <laughs> um, and he, he was also at the, the, Ballin, the sorry the Queen's in Bell Bottom for a while, really really nice guy, great chef, and uh, so yeah. But but his, his dad John essentially he had the only sort of recognisably in you know, a good restaurant in the whole of, of, of Birmingham, and then you know obviously then Andreas um, brought Simpsons into into the city and. and things have followed on from there. Would say he was sort of the catalyst for the Birmingham high-end sort of food scene? <laughs> um, I've got enormous respect for Andreas. I think, I mean, he has, he, uh, by anybody's measure, has done more for the restaurant industry in Birmingham than anybody else, by a country mile. Mm. Uh, you look at the people that he has trained effectively, and um, I was fortunate enough to go to a dinner uh, sort of Simpson an- anniversary dinner um, last year, and uh, Andy Waters was there, and glenn was there, um, and so you know, so many other chefs that Luke and so on. um That that yeah, Andreas is, is effectively trained. It was wonderful. Yeah. really really good. No, well, th- th- <laughs> fair play to. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, <laughs> so there's there's, a guy, there's nobody else really who, who's had such an impact um, and he's still doing it
0: yeah I mean the, my business partner here he's eating at Simpsons and he thinks it's one of the best places ever yeah. eaten I haven't had the pleasure yet we went to Pinals not too long ago though and if he trained him then <laughs> Pinals very very good so
1: yeah uh, uh, apologies to, to all of that, those other great chefs that I do not Adam and so on um, it, because it was, it was fabulous yeah, really, really good. Yeah. yeah, we're quite lucky at the moment with
0: Birmingham with the amount of really good restaurants there are in town, mm. and there just seems to be more and more opening all the time. Like I know we had a conversation about you got um, Alex who's got Nocturnal Animals in the yep. Wilderness. He's doing really really interesting things at the moment. Mm-hmm. Quite different to what's around. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, mean, uh, okay, but, I mean, the Birmingham restaurant scene as I said just now it's it's changed beyond recognition you know who'd have thought we'd have so many Michelin starred restaurants
0: yeah. uh, in the city and there could be more coming up in the next couple of years
1: yeah I mean I, yes I, 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 there the could well be as you, you mentioned you know Alex and Folium, Folium on um, Caroline Street yeah that's on the top um, of the list yeah Ben's a fantastic chef but it's it's also you know those those restaurants I think that um if you like they're not fine dining but that but it's it's the level just below that yeah um where you know, the sort of places where you'd want to go out and eat you know rather than it being a special occasion you you go there sort of yeah you know, on a weekly basis almost yeah um you think oh I can't be able to cook tonight, so let's go there and um and again, I think little by little we're seeing more of that sort of level of restaurant coming through, which is um, yeah,
0: interesting. Yeah, say. interesting. Well, we've booked up, we're going to, with our partners, we're off to Little Blackwood soon. Yeah. And yep. we're very excited about that because that's sort of similar vibe to what you're saying. But the, yep. the price there. I can't believe how reasonable it is for the reviews. Yeah,
1: it's it very, very fair. Um, no, again, that was actually chatted to Ben earlier on today. It's... Really good chef, and I love the atmosphere there, and it's, um, you know, it's, it's only 20, 30 covers, whatever. Um, but it's a, the service is fabulous. Have you ever have you eaten there before or not?
0: No, no, we're very look, much looking forward to it. Yeah.
1: No, Sophia, whose who's front of house is, is absolutely lovely. I've heard um, it's a very friendly atmosphere yeah, at- in there. Yeah, yeah,
0: completely. Um, would you say there's too many sort of good restaurants coming through now where It's sort of unsustainable for the amount of stuff that's in town now um,
1: it's quite a congested market mm. uh and and you know new places opening you know, it seems every single week um and you know clearly there have been casualties and there have been some very recent casualties I think. It's when you look at the size of some of these places and you think that's an awful lot of covers yeah. that you've got to fill oh, Jailbird um, just closed down in town
0: that was owned by the sang Group yeah and that's a huge restaurant yeah. absolutely yeah. massive place, two
1: floors as well um, Yes and it, you know you've got to have a lot of staff there mm-hmm. um, The bureau has just closed yeah that's a, a shout. That was sort of a great thing. place that was but um, it is difficult when you've got as I saying that many covers to fill um, and you've got places like you know, Cozy Club which is enormous um, yeah, it's huge <laughs> absolutely uh, massive and you know where are all these people going to come from I, mean, I think we're very very lucky Birmingham is a great city to be at yeah. um, and you know in spite of all the stuff that's going on these days I mustn't say too much um, <laughs> but um, yeah I, I think Birmingham as, as a city is probably a better place than pretty much anywhere else Um and uh, so, as I say, we, we are fortunate in that respect, but by the same token, well, although, yeah, eating out has become much more commonplace than ever it was you know, that it used to be, certainly you know, when I first started the game. Um, but nonetheless, I, I, I questioned where all the people are gonna come from to fill these restaurants. On a, Saturday, a Friday and Saturday night, you'll be okay but on a sort of damp Tuesday lunchtime.
0: Yeah, where's your business?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: With more than a quarter of young adults now been teetotal, is non-alcoholic wine any good?
1: Yeah, next question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, completely. Um, I completely... Not in my experience. I, I think, um, the, to my way of thinking, the whole, you know... To, to be balanced, a properly balanced wine um, has to have alcohol in it. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, it's it's missing a key ingredient. And and personally, I would much rather drink, you know, a non-alcoholic drink, uh, you know, that's intended to be non-alcoholic. Yeah. Uh, than than an alcoholic wine. Uh, I mean, there was some, there was some one or two decent. Uh, no and low alcohol beers around. Uh, and I think yeah, the Brewdog
0: that, Dog one's quite nice for yeah. no alcohol. That's
1: yeah, that certainly seems to be, you know, uh, creating a niche, should we say? But I think the sort of spinning cone type non-alcoholic wine is still very much a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, Dear. Well, sorry Liam, no alcoholic one for you. <laughs> Have you noticed a rise in people wanting to know more about their wines and doing more mini courses? Because you, you throw quite a few events, don't you? Wine testing, we do, and tastings and things we like that. We do regular
1: tastings. Ed's got one on in, um, in Brougham tonight and tomorrow night. We did a, a whiskey tasting here in Solihull last Friday. Adam's got a gin tasting he's doing this forthcoming Friday. And most of these will, will sell out. So the answer to your question has got to be yes. When we set up Solihull, which, frighteningly, uh, is now approaching seven years ago. Wow. Um, where did those years go? <laughs> um, then, I mean, the reason that why we put this tasting room uh, in that we're talking in at the moment um, was because we wanted to you know, get people in um, and, and do much more in the way of tastings. Uh, we knew the market was there for it um, when we <coughs> the way that the birmingham store was set up at that sti- stage we would do tastings there but every time we did we had to sort of move all the displays out of the way to put tables in and so on um, and it just became a bit disruptive whereas having the opportunity if you like to start here with a clean slate um, and and put the tasting room in uh, from day one uh, it's and it, it also you know com- coming into to Solihull for the first time it offered us you know gave something different to offer consumers, and uh, and it, it's it provides a, a fun Friday Friday night, with looking at the idea of you know wine schools and this sort of thing to make to formalise the whole thing slightly, uh, but um, I think as it stands at the moment as I say that they, they're good fun exercises that you know they're quite social yeah and you'll find because we, we sort of have a you know, limited number of tables so you tend to find sort of small groups you'll put them together simply to be for, the, for the sake of space and so over the course of the evening you know they start chatting to each other and this sort of thing, and as I say, it, it's, a, it's a it's a sort of fun social event. You've been to any or not?
0: No, I was looking at um, the rum. There's a rum one in July, I think. Yeah, I think I'm lo- looking at coming to that one because I'm I love rum. <laughs> 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 Absolutely adore the stuff. What's your favourite wine or drink at the moment?
1: Grunspitz. Wow. we <laughs> 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 in <any> um, agreement. <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, uh, favourite. I, I, you know, I, I get asked. Frequently, uh, you get going to ask, "What's your favourite wine?" and and it's an impossible question to answer, to be honest, mm. uh, because you know it depends where you are, what you're doing, who you're with, what you've tasted recently, and so on. You know, if you look at our list, you'll you'll realise that yes, I'm a huge fan of Burgundy. We're also, I mean, again, if you'd asked me six or seven years ago about South Africa, I'd have been fairly dismissive, but these days I think it's the most exciting country on. on for wine production really? uh, in the southern hemisphere i think they make really huge strides forward is that the sauvignon and the Chenin? um Chenin particularly some of the interestingly um, some really interesting pinot noir and i've even tasted some uh, pinotage which i thought was i'm not not never been a big pinotage fan mm-hmm. um, but um, some interesting pinotage it's mm. quite exciting Um, But yeah, as I said, I think they've got a lot of new young winemakers coming through and and they're not afraid I think is is the other thing that you know, they're quite happy to play around with different things So yeah, South Africa, I think is really good Eastern Europe In my limited experience there there were some great things there. I Think the potential there is huge At the moment prices are still a bit on the high side Last year, I think as much as anything else it's down to, I mean, transport costs obviously don't help. Uh, it's a lot easier, huh, at the moment, uh, to get things <laughs> yeah. brought in from sort of France and, and, you know, Western Europe, if you like. And, there was, and apart from anything else, there was just a lot more trucks coming over. So getting things, stuff over from, um, you know, Romania or, or Croatia or whatever is always gonna be a more expensive exercise.
0: Yeah, well, that might be even more of an exercise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What sort of trends can we look forward to over the next year or two in wine or spirits?
1: I wouldn't dare to venture an opinion on spirits, but I think, as I said, earlier, I think vegan wines, particularly vegetarian wines, is going to be a category that, yeah. you know, will... Uh, you know, the wines are already here, I mean, it, it, and chances are, you know, an awful lot of the wines that you'll see on, a, on many shelves will, will be vegetarian or vegan, but there will be a move over that way, I don't... I don't you know, question about that I suppose to a degree maybe it does depend on Brexit as to you know what it, impact that has on, on uh, imports from Europe uh, China has allegedly more land on divine now than anywhere else oh, yeah uh, huge amounts of planting going on in China and I learned uh, short while ago it's never overtaken Argentina as, as the fifth biggest wine producer in the world. So I think it wouldn't... Survive. I mean, we do see a handful of, of Chinese wines over here now, but it is very, very much a handful. And I think once they get their act together, obviously their land costs are relatively cheap, the labour costs are relatively cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't necessarily a great virtue, but it's just a <laughs> fact of life. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, and so it wouldn't surprise me uh, if we didn't start to see more okay. wines Chinese coming wine. in from... China.
0: Wow. And what's the, any future plans for Connolly's coming up?
1: Uh, what's your space? <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> well, I think that's everything. Thank you very much, Chris. Really appreciate it. That's a pleasure. Uh, Thank
1: uh, you. a good fun.
0: Well, that's that. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to subscribe, rate and review our podcast. This really does help us. Yeah, it really does. Even if you could just help by recommending us to a friend or a family member, helps to get our name out there. If you haven't yet seen our blog, go check it out. It's where you can find all our show notes, restaurant reviews and other food ramblings. The website is www.breakingbreadpodcastuk.blog Also, go check out our social media. Our Insta is full of pics of food also feel free to leave comments we love hearing from you all the links to our social media and our guest social media can be found in our show notes thanks Thanks again for for listening listening. until Until next next time time. take care